0: please turn in your bible this morning to the gospel of luke luke chapter 11 luke chapter 11 and we're going to read the first four verses while you're turning there just want to invite you to uh, keep me in prayer this week i'll be traveling to uh, washington state uh, northwest presbytery and we have several meetings um, scheduled, that will be uh, possibly difficult meetings uh, as we try to speak graciously but truthfully uh, into the, uh, into just the difficulties that are taking place in uh, with our brothers uh, there in the Northwest Presbytery. So um, just, if you just keep me in prayer, Stephen O'Harek, who's flying out of Orlando, Lord willing, if Erica decides to stay off uh, out to sea, that would be helpful, but also then Bruce Hollister from um Joliet, Illinois, and so if you just keep us in prayer, we would greatly appreciate that this week. Luke chapter eleven, reading the first five, first four verses, and uh, you know these verses well, but let's give them our attention this morning. Uh, This is God's word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray." as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive every, everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Holy Spirit, we... Um, ask this morning that you, the illuminator of the word, would come and do that beautiful ministry. That we would hear our Savior speak to us. And that this these words would not just be words, but would be life and food and the power of God. As you intend. And so, Lord, bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the Difficulties about uh, preaching on the Lord's Prayer is that all of you know the Lord's Prayer. Um, I would say most of you know the Lord's Prayer. Um, most of you probably have memorized the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you have a certain, uh, it's not really cynicism, but there's just sort of an assumption that there's really, there's probably not going to be anything dramatically new that you haven't heard already. And uh, particularly if you were catechized, uh, you've memorized questions, whether in the Heidelberg Catechism or in the Westminster Catechism. And so if I asked you what does the the first petition mean, and if you've been well catechized, you can spit back to me the answer of what the first petition means. And so, um, so I think it's helpful just to get that sort of on the table as we start. But let me ask you this, Uh, no matter how well you might know the Lord's Prayer, the the, the really more important question is, are you living the Lord's Prayer? There are obviously things that we all know that um, remain in the sphere of knowledge and yet not in the sphere of experience. For instance, uh, if I would ask you, could you explain to me what a healthy lifestyle looks like? You could explain to me the diet that goes with a healthy lifestyle, the exercise a regimen that goes with a healthy uh, lifestyle, the sleep patterns, whatever. You could probably go into a certain um, amount of detail about a healthy lifestyle. But then if I ask the question, well, are you living that lifestyle? Most of us would have to acknowledge, well, not as well as we'd like to. And uh, probably, truth be told, uh, our life doesn't resemble anything like uh, the healthy lifestyle we've just uh, described. So, I think it's more helpful to ask this morning, are you, not just do you know the Lord's Prayer, could you explain sort of what it means? The, the, the more critical question is, has it become uh, the pattern of your life? Because, you see, Jesus isn't just teaching us a way to pray. He's not just putting words in our mouth. As we're, as we're going to see as we look at the Lord's Prayer, every word is packed with incredible gospel significance, and um, God is revealing who He is and who we are and what it means to live in this His world as His people. It's a lifestyle. It's not just a prayer to murmur or to to say when uh, it it might seem appropriate. It's not just a religious activity. It's a life. So the the critical question then is, what, what does Jesus want us to know about how to live a life in this world as God's children, pursuing God's agenda, and yet also confident of god's concern for our needs. Every religion prays, doesn't it? Every religion as far as I know, even Buddhists pray though they don't believe in a, a a god out there, they think god is in here in your whatever as sort of your the divine part of you. And yet and yet Buddhists still pray sort of for self enhancement. Every Every religion prays. Many religions have very prescribed ways of praying. Muslims are required to pray five times a day and always facing the, the east and, and using a very specific um, patterns of prayer. It's very, very well laid out, very detailed. Every religion prays. Jesus is not just giving us sort of the Christian way to do this. This is, this is how people live when they've been born again by the power of God. This is, this is what happens in people's hearts and, and, and in their minds when they desire the things of God. And they have come to know the living God who made them as their father. So we're going to see it is the concept of the fatherhood of God that dominates the Lord's prayer. And so let's look then together at this prayer Again, it's not, the, it's not the sort of the official prayer. Have you ever noticed that with all the prayers we have in the New Testament, all of Paul's prayers, any of the prayers you find in the book of Acts, none of them cite the Lord's Prayer? Why not? Well, because Jesus didn't give it as just something to be cited, as the, the most uh, appropriate structure of words. But you'll find Paul... And you'll find the church in Acts praying the Lord's Prayer as the, as the template of prayer. That they have, uh, they've let the truths of this prayer mold their life and, and shape their desires so that they pray exactly according to these things. And that's what we are asking the Lord to do in our life this morning. I have two main points, pray to the Father, and then pray for the Father's concerns. And, and the subpoints under the Father's concerns will be the ultimate concerns. And then I have, I think, immediate, I think a better word would be intimate. Ultimate and intimate. Let's start with pray to the Father. As I said before, I think this is the essence, the heart of the whole prayer. You, don't, you absolutely cannot pray as Jesus prayed without this beginning, Father, our Father. You see, we, we don't approach God as every other religion in the world approaches their gods however they might understand their gods. They approach their God maybe as the creature just supplicating a deity, as as someone who has needs, talking to the the this powerful being however they understand him, and he's able to help them with the needs. But that's not the That's not the tenor of a Christian's prayer. It's not not how we think of God simply as the dispenser of the goods that we might need. If that is how you pray, then your prayer is very similar to the pagan's prayer. Jesus prays to the Father. Notice we're told that Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus always referred to God as father did you know that you can look it up in the gospels every time he refers to God in the gospels he speaks about his father it is my meat is to do my father's will when he was a little boy and and remember he stayed back at the temple and and Mary and Joseph come back and said, what are you doing he says why are you surprised? Did, didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business? He always speaks of God as his father. Luke ten uh, twenty one. we just looked at a few weeks ago. He rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. If you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus always talked about God as his Father. The only time, there's only one time in all the Gospels that we have where Jesus prays and he does not use the term Father. Maybe you remember what that time was. The only time we have in the Gospels where Jesus speaks to God and does not refer to Him as Father is when He's bearing the weight of our guilt. When He has become accursed, bearing our sin and our shame, our failures, our wickedness and perversity as He's on the cross being made sin for us. Then as Jesus experiences the wrath of God the judge against our sins, then Jesus says, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? he doesn't say father because he's experienced the truth of sin and the truth of sin is that it separates you from God it it places you outside of that intimate relationship of a father and a child and even though every one of us and everyone in the world is created by God and so in that sense everyone has God as the father in the sense of creation Sin has separated and broken that relationship. And Jesus experiences that horror as he's suffering on the cross bearing our sin. And all he can say is, my God, my God. You see, condemned men and women cry out, oh God. But the amazing thing about the gospel is that Jesus came, you see, to reconcile sinners to their Creator. And so when Jesus says, it is finished, and the work has been accomplished on the cross, his very last spoken words before he dies is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That he has accomplished redemption. Redemption. Reconciliation has been made, and Jesus is once again experiencing the beauty of intimacy with his Father in heaven. Father, in your hands, I commit you my, my spirit. And then the miracle of miracles is that when Jesus is raised from the dead, one of the very first things that he does is he's talking to Mary in the early morning there in the garden. She comes and she wants to just embrace him and hug him and If you remember, Jesus says to her, John 20, 18, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, notice my brothers, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. I'm ascending to your Father. And so sinners in By faith in Jesus Christ, sinners who are united to Jesus Christ discover that that they have escaped the condemnation that would make a sinner cry out, oh God. And, And they are now able to say, Father, Abba. You see, outside of Christ, the God who created you is related to you as a judge that you will answer to. But in Jesus Christ, by faith in Christ, confessing your sin and coming and and, uh, receiving Jesus Christ as your only Savior and Lord, His Father becomes your Father. J.I. Packer, if you remember, said that if you want to find out how much a person understands about the Christian faith, ask them, how does this concept of Father, God is your Father... How do, how do you understand that? How does, how does that affect your life? How does that affect your worship? And, and Packer says, if they can't answer that, it shows that they don't really understand Christianity. Because it's the essence of it. You see, when Jesus came to reconcile sinners to God, he didn't come to reconcile sinners to God as a just dispenser of goods in heaven. He came to reconcile sinners to God so that they have a Father in heaven. You might say, well, what's really the difference? Well, it's a, it's a profound difference. If you think, what is the benefit of having a father? Now, again, even earthly fathers, this gets messy because some of you have had um, miserable fathers. Some of you have had fathers have just walked out and never came back. And so for some people, the, the, the concept of of a, a father or the experience of a father as a, as a, a, a loving help and in a place of security that you that's just foreign to you. But let me just say this to you. Even if that is your experience, you have a sense of what it ought to be. You know what what it should have been like. And for those of you who've had the benefit of a a good father. What's the payoff for having a father? What in terms of if you are an orphan or you belong in a family where you have a father? What what really is the difference? Because Orphans can have a, a, a roof over their head. If, if, if the only benefit is some of the material things, then you're really not much different than an orphan. You see, the, the benefit of a father isn't just that you, of having God as your father, isn't just that you have someone in high places who can do good things for you. The benefit of having God as your father is someone knows you. Someone is committed to you. Someone has attached his honor, his reputation to you. That's what fathers do. They attach their honor and their reputation and are willing to do whatever must be done for their children. And God, the living God, has done exactly that for you. He's attached his honor, his reputation, all of his wisdom, all of his power, all that makes God the glorious God that he is. God has committed that to you as your father. That's astonishing. So that someone knows you and someone, do you realize he's committed himself in that way, his honor and his reputation to to your well-being, your eternal good? So you're not alone in this world and you're not left on your own in this world? That no matter what you face, your heavenly Father is superintending all of this universe and he's at work for your eternal joy. So Jesus says, if you're going to pray, you got to start with Father. And, and again, it doesn't mean you can't pray to Jesus or you can't pray to the Holy Spirit, Of course you can. God, one in three persons. But you see, the, the, the fundamental uh, concept of God that has to settle over our life and mold our desires is that when I talk to God, when I close my eyes or when I, when I lift my head and hands, when, when I'm going to talk to God, I'm talking to my Father. My Father, the one who, who loved me and gave His own Son for me. The, the one who's committed himself in all of his glory to my good. It's an astonishing thought. He is my father. I am his child. And even if, as we read, a nursing mother might forget her baby, as impossible as that sounds, and yet we know it can happen, even if that does happen, God says, I will never, ever, 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 ever forget you. I'm your father. Let that truth settle on your heart today. And ask yourself the question, how would that change the way I do life? How would that change the things that I worry about? How would it change my attitude and maybe make me thankful for things that now I just sort of take for granted? How would it change the way I pray, the way I live, to know that God is my father and I'm his child? I'm a child of God. That's what the gospel writers marvel about. What, what manner of love is this? That we should be called children of God. This is, this is astonishing. That God, to those who received Jesus, those who believed in his name, what did he do for them? John chapter 1. He gave them the right to be called the children of God. This is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. This is what the gospel accomplishes. And then you see, once, once that is becoming more uh, settled in our hearts and minds and that's that's the way we think about God and we relate to God as a father to his to ha- a child to a heavenly father now we're going to start praying for the things that God cares about our father cares about you see we've been as children of of the father we've been brought into the family business so that the father's concerns are our concerns so many of you missed out uh, i hope that doesn't sound but You didn't get to grow up on a farm. (laughs) Maybe you got to grow up in a family business. It's the same sort of thing. Now, again, bless your heart and, and bless your father who went off and did. You have no idea what uh, to, to, right, to, to put food on the table. But growing up on a farm, I knew exactly what my dad was doing because I was doing it right alongside of him. I knew, I knew uh, how, what, well, how much money uh, you were, we were getting for a pound of milk. I knew how much butterfat was in the milk, what we needed to have. I knew what, how much the cows were giving. I knew what the cost of feed was, what the cost of fertilizer was, how much seed corn we were going to have to have that year, what was going to happen if we didn't get enough hay, and what the price of the bales were. Because I was just doing the Father's business. And everyone that Jesus is talking to here in Luke chapter 11 has that experience. They're doing the Father's work. And so Jesus, you see, is explaining to us that when you understand that that the Father, God in heaven, is your Father in heaven, you now are, you're engaged in the Father's business. Can't help it. That's where your heart is. That's where your desires are. You want to be engaged in the Father's business. And so your, his concerns are your concerns. And so that's why Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What we care about is what our Father cares about. And, and we want the name of our Father to be hallowed. Now, that's a, that's a word that we don't use anymore except on Halloween, which is one of the most twisted, weird um, things you can imagine. We, but, but what it means, of course, where it comes from, this is, is all-hallowed Eve. It, it means holy. It means to sanctify. But what does it mean for us to pray that God would be sanctified? He's already perfectly holy. Well, Jesus, of course, isn't, he's, isn't, he's not instructing us to pray that the Father would be more sanctified. He's praying that in a sense, God would be sanctified in our hearts, that, that we would be sanctified as we increase with a passion for the, the glory and honor of God and God's name. In, in your outline that I handed out, I have a question from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 47. I think it's just a little more thorough than the Westminster, and so um, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 47. This is just a document written about uh, oh, or 500 years ago and uh, just about, and um, written to just to help children and the church understand basic things of the faith. And so here we have, what does the first petition in the Lord's Prayer mean? Hallowed be your name means, help us to truly know you, God, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think and say and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. You see, the the deepest desires of a regenerate heart, if you've been born again, when you think about God, when you think about your father and and how he has loved you and what he he is doing to rescue sinners and how he promises in Jesus Christ to make everything new, you want his name to be hallowed. And it pains you when it's not hollowed. One of the the trials of being a Christian who loves the Father is to live, you see, in this world, the Father's world, a world that He made good, He made beautiful. It was pure. It was right. Everything was as it should be. It redounded to His glory, every bit of it. And then... The adversary came, the devil, God's sworn enemy, came into this world and, and led Adam and Eve into sin. And because the foundations of reality are spiritual in nature, this whole world was cast into sin. This whole world fell in Adam and Eve's crime against their father. And so the world comes under a curse, and the devil is called the prince of this world, not because he's sovereign over this world, but because his influence, his devastating influence is felt throughout the world. And so we, we live in that world, and we grieve the way that God's name is not hallowed, the way that God is laughed at, the way that God is mocked, the way that God is resisted and scorned. Romans chapter 1 says that the wrath of God is breaking out against this world because men do not honor God as God, nor do they give thanks to him. And so people speak of God in awful, awful, awful ways. And people do awful, wicked things against those made in his image. All the sins of men, if it's rape, murder, um, stealing, cheating, lying backstabbing, gossip, slander, all of it you see is an assault on God as it attacks his, uh, those made in his image. As it, every bit of it is men and women, sinful men and women, creatures made out of dust trying to establish their kingdom, their rights, their authority against that of God. And if you're a child of the Father, that grieves you. You hate evil, not just because it's wrong, not even just because it hurts people. It does that, and you grieve that, but fundamentally it's an assault on your father. It's an assault on his creation. It's an assault on his character. And so we, we grieve it. There's, there, there's a profound sense in your heart that not only that this is, this is wrong, but the nature of the wrong is that God is being opposed. God, the Father, your Father, is being resisted and denied and attacked. That's what breaks your heart if you're a Christian. And the greatest grief, of course, is when you're a part of it. There's no greater grief for a Christian than to know that you've taken sides with the devil. You've taken sides with the world. You've decided that you're not going to speak up. You're not going to even resist. In fact, you've just gotten comfortable with people living as... Though there were no God, and, and not honoring God and taking the Lord's name in vain, you, you've just sort of accepted it as the way it is. And you grieve, you see, as a Christian, you grieve when you sin in that way and when you sin in all the very real ways that you sin because you're not, you're not honoring God in your own heart. And sometimes people will even uh, laugh at God and they'll mock God as they point at you. You call yourself a Christian? I see what you do, I know how you do business. You're no different than all the other guys. You think you're so special, you think you're so holy. I know how you treat your wife. I know what you say about your husband. I know what you're doing behind your parents' back. And so a Christian starts by saying, Father, hollow your name and and let it begin with me. Do it in my life, do it in my heart. Give me this one holy passion filling all my frame Show me your goodness, show me your glory. The songwriter George Crowley catches it well in spirit of God. Descend upon my heart, wean it from earth through all its pulses move. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and make me love thee as I ought to love. Hallow your name, Lord, right here, right here, hallow your name. And your kingdom come. See? Your kingdom come. We're looking at big picture here. Jesus is teaching us to live our life with our eyes set on things that ultimately matter. And what ultimately matters is that God is a king. And he has a kingdom, and his kingdom has, has invaded this world. The, the devil has caused this great devastation, and yet God has not abandoned the world to the devil, but God has interceded. Jesus Christ, the king, has come. And so remember, when Jesus sends out the, the disciples on their mission trips, he tells them the message is the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom has come. The allies have landed at Normandy. land is on the move. That's the message. The early church, one of their favorite psalms was Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The gospel isn't simply a message of how to get saved. It is that, but that is only part of the context of God at work to make everything new. God at work establishing his reign, his throne. And he does that in Jesus Christ, king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus Christ the king is on the march today. Jesus is working out his kingdom purposes in the world today. And he will continue to do that until everything that is opposed to him is under his feet. Even death itself. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we say, Lord, make that happen. Let that happen. Go, run. Let the gospel as the power of God unto salvation be known throughout the world. And let it happen in me. Let me just refer you again to the, uh, Heidelberg, Lord's Day 48. What does a second petition mean? Your kingdom come means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that we more and more submit to you. Preserve your church and make it grow. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy, conspiracy against your holy word. Do this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all in all. All right, let your kingdom come and Lord, let it begin with me. Forgive me for all the ways that I've opposed your kingdom and tried to establish my own. Let it begin here. We're gonna sing after the, 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 the sermon, O oh, great God of highest heaven, occupy. That's kingdom language. Take over my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You've loved and purchased me. Make me yours forevermore. Lord, let it happen right here. You see, this is not just a prayer, is it? This is a passion. This is what you want if you're a Christian. It's what you hunger for. It's what you long for. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be engaged in the things that that Jesus delights in. I want to resist and be done with everything that Jesus hates. I want to be a part of what he is building, what he is doing. And I want to be praying for that both in here and all around me. And so preserve your church and make it grow. What I care about fundamentally is not how the stock market is doing. It's all going to pass away. What I care about, how's the church doing? How's the church of Jesus Christ doing in the world today? Where is it weak? Where does it need to be built up and encouraged and strengthened? Where is it suffering persecution at the hands of wicked men? That's what's on the heart of a child of the Father. That's what the Father is fundamentally concerned about. That's what Jesus, the King, cares about, His church. How's his church doing? And what role am I playing then to encourage the church and to make it grow, to to be part of what Jesus is doing as he builds it up? That's why we pray for missionaries and and church plants and for conversions, because that's what Jesus cares about. So in Acts chapter 4, persecution breaks out, and the church gathers together, and they do not pray, Lord, protect us from the persecutors. What they say is, Lord, give us boldness to preach, to proclaim. And the the room was shaken as the Holy Spirit descends and they were given power and boldness to go right into the teeth of that persecution and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus built his kingdom. That's what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Rule us, make your church grow, destroy the devil's work. Are you excited about the, the reality that's precisely what Jesus Christ has accomplished and will complete? That he put his foot on the devil's neck, crushed the devil's head in his victory at the cross and at the, in, in the grave as he was raised from the dead. And now ascends and reigns over the devil. Aren't you, aren't you excited about that? Don't you want to see that work continue until the, the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea? When there will be no more pain and no more crying, no more sin, no more death. That's the passion, you see, of a, of a, of a child of the father and then after we've prayed for the for the ultimate needs the things that, that ultimately concern our father's heart then we pray for the intimate needs these are our father's concerns as well i'm not going to take long in the middle these are this is where we normally just go in our prayers lord i need help i need this i need that i need and it's it's not inappropriate but it's 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 shallow somehow it's missing it's missing something if 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 that's right where we go. We don't have it in the right place. And we're not going to pray with the right confidence and with the right joy. Once you have established in your heart, my God is my Father in heaven, and nothing can separate me from him. And my Father has a cause that I am passionate about in the world. That's where my deepest desires lie. And my... My deepest concern is that God would use me in my little way, in some way, to further the hallowing of God's name and the progress of his kingdom and the building up of his church. Even though that that means this morning, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna wipe snotty noses and dirty hind ends. If that's what it's about today, I'll do that. Because I wanna do what my father is about. And then, you see, when I have that in mind then I can say, Lord, you know what I need. I need your provision. Give me this day our our daily bread. Notice it's communal, isn't it? Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. I need pardon. And lead us not into temptation. I need protection. That's that's the truth about us. That's the intimate truth about us. We are weak. We need to eat. We need to be taken care of. (laughs) But when we have the big picture in mind, you're going to be able to pray with so much more confidence you see, we're engaged now in, in who God is and what he's doing, and so we're, we're, we're set free from thinking we're self-dependent. We rejoice in the fact that we're not alone. And the Father reminds us, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Your, your Father in heaven knows you need these things. Isn't that wonderful that, that God has made your budget and your wardrobe and your pantry his concern the the god of heaven would do that he says he does and hasn't he been faithful in that have you i see everyone nicely clothed this morning you look well fed you look like you're being taken care of quite well isn't god faithful amen he's faithful But we don't just need physical things. We do need those, and and our Father knows, but we need pardon. This is a sinner's prayer, isn't it? This is is who we are. Lord, forgive us our debts. We owe you, Father, absolute obedience. We owe you love. We owe you the passion of our hearts, and forgive us for failing to do that. And and our sins, our debts, we can't pay back. We, We know we can't pay it back. And, Father, we come to you acknowledging you don't owe us forgiveness. He doesn't owe us. In fact, we come admitting that it cost him the life of his son. Isn't it amazing that Jesus teaches you to pray this, to teaches you to pray, forgive us our debts, when Jesus knows he's, he's going to have to go to the cross to make that prayer come true, to make that happen? Can you imagine the love of Christ as he's teaching you to pray this prayer? And Jesus, again, invites this into this as a way of life so that you're you're living as a sinner who needs forgiveness, but you're living as a sinner who's received forgiveness as well. See, once you get a big picture of who God is as your father and what God is doing in the gospel, I think it's much easier than to, to grasp and believe that Jesus Christ was willing to forgive me. And that Jesus Christ has called me then to live in his grace and to forgive other people. Forgive us as we forgive. This is a way of life. And Lord, lead us not into temptation. We have enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is constantly seeking to allure you. The devil is continually lying to you. The flesh is betraying you. They're enemies and they're serious about what they're about. And we are weak. We so easily give in. We so easily adopt the world's principles. We so easily let the the ideas and the priorities of the flesh take over. We accept the lies of the devil. We're so easily tempted. And so we need to pray, Lord, protect us. And, And friends, God promises, our Father promises, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. If you walk by the spirit of God, you will put to death the things of the flesh by the power of God. Because God who works in you is working both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. That the work that he's begun, he's going to carry it on to completion. We pray, Father, and we pray, provide for us and pardon us and protect us. And God the Father promises to answer. And so friends we wrap up with this. You know the Lord's prayer. Are you living the Lord's prayer? Do you want to live the Lord's prayer? Do you want to accept this simple prayer as the template of your life? You know the Some of you work in plastic injection or in a factory where they stamp out parts. And this stamp is in a a form or the mold. And you either shoot the the plastic liquid in and that form molds it and shapes it. Or the stamp comes down and and makes that piece of metal exactly in the shape it needs to be. Well, the Lord's Prayer is meant to be that template that settles down over your life. And let me ask you, when that comes down, what gets cut out of your life? When you receive this prayer, what gets, what gets changed in your life? What, what gets molded and shaped in a different way in your heart? How, how is it going to change the way you think about the, what you worry about? And, and, and the things that you are concerned about and the things that you pray about and the things that you're most passionate about, how is the Lord's Prayer going to affect you? Jesus Christ, you see, is not inviting us simply to say a prayer. Jesus Christ is inviting us to live as children of the Heavenly Father and he gave his life to make it happen. Let's bow together in prayer. Oh, Father, Father, hallowed be your name. And, Father, we, we offer that not simply as a prescribed prayer, but as a confession of our failure, and yet, Lord, also a, a confession that it is what we do desire, that your name be hallowed, Father, In this world and in our own lives, in our hearts, in our relationships, in the words that we say, in the things that we even feel, we want your name to be hallowed. We want people to see that you are precious, that you are good, that you are true, that you're reliable, that you are full of compassion, that you are great and worthy to be praised. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom come. We thank you that you've sent Jesus Christ as king to rule, to reign. Father, we want to be in line with his kingdom. We want to gladly submit to his rule in our own hearts and we want to, Lord, then be a part of what he is doing in the world as he is building up the church, as he is establishing his kingdom until the day that is revealed from pole to pole and everything is fully, completely under his reign and everything is made new. All that is evil is cast out. Father, we pray that that would happen. Soon, and that we would be glad participants in that, in our prayers, in our longing, in our giving, our work, our participation. We thank you, Lord, that you do promise one day to make everything new. And until then, Lord, keep us as your children. Give us our daily bread. You know what we need. Some of us, Lord, here feel those needs very strongly today. Father, teach us to live in this prayer. And Lord, forgive us our debts. We've sinned. And we thank you that Jesus Christ shed his blood, that we can pray this prayer and we can live this life of being the recipients of grace and forgiveness and pardon. And Father, some of us this morning need to receive that pardon. We walk under a a mantle of guilt and shame. And Lord Jesus Christ, you died to remove that mantle, that robe, and give us a robe of righteousness May we receive it today as your children, Father. And lead us not into temptation, but Lord, help us to walk pursuing holiness and sharing the grace you've given to us with others. Lord, may this prayer be our life. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.